I bet if you got a good pickup in a fast car, you could go places faster than, than say, another person in another car? I suppose. Well, take me, for instance. Suppose I'm driving across the country at a nice steady clip of about, oh, 45 miles an hour. Couldn't a fellow like you, standing beside the road waiting for a lift, beat me to town after town, provided he got picked up every time in a car going about 65 to 70 miles an hour? Couldn't he? I suppose. Maybe he couldn't, maybe he couldn't. What difference does it make? Come on, we're gonna go for a joyride. just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I feel like this is a very appropriate episode coming up on the Thanksgiving week um, about cross-country travel and the dangers of. I am Paul. Yeah. And I'm Kevin. Yeah. So I feel like this is a very, this is our PSA for, for holiday travel. That's that's what this is going to be. <laughs> um, welcome back. Uh, I hope you guys uh, made it through um, the last episode. Not us talking about it, but just watching it. We, we uh, were not um, biggest fans if I shot an arrow into the air, but we're really excited about The Hitchhiker. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had seen this one a few times growing up, so going into this, I wasn't as cold as I've been on the past couple, so it was kind of nice. Yeah, and I'd watched this one as well when we were trying to do prep work for starting the show, because I like the idea of driving, and I was like, I'll watch this one, there might be some cool clips or something to use in it, and it didn't quite work out that way, but it was still a fun one to get to early to kind of get in that Twilight Zone vibe, and also this is one of the ones people, like we talk about, like top 10 episodes, people bring up this one, and again, it's surprising how early it comes in the series, but after how lackluster last episode is this one just just it uh is a way it knocks it out of the park yeah and as far as little connections back to our show um the final narration in this he kind of ties it back into uh a detour into the twilight zone which we kind of use for our narration coming in on the uh intros so yeah so um uh, yeah let's just get right into it uh, mm-hmm. uh air date is um january 22nd uh i put i put 2016 i'm at 1960 yeah that, <laughs> yeah this came out just a year ago now uh number one song again uh, running bear by johnny preston a number one film ben hur that seems to be a popular film for some reason i don't know why um and the other thing i thought of interest was that this that date uh the lead singer of nxs was born uh, michael hutchinson and I, th- yeah. like, I yeah. saw that and I didn't even write it down. It's like, eh. <laughs> I just couldn't find anything else that was uh, that was interesting about that date. So there you go. Lead singer of a band. He's no longer around and that band. People kind of know. So that's that's about all I got for the date. <laughs> yep. So uh, we'll jump into the cast and crew here. We got uh, directed by Alvin Ganser. Did three other Twilight Zone episodes. A uh, lot of TV. Um, most notably 
we just covered what you need. He was the director of that episode. Um, so we've talked about him before. Uh, Teleplay by Rod Serling based on a radio play by Lucille Fletcher for Orson Welles. And they did that on a few different uh, radio shows. Uh, weirdly enough, the score in this episode is done by Bernard Herrmann. And uh, they reused the score he did for the radio play for the episode. And Bernard Herrmann and Lucille Fletcher were actually married at this time. Oh, well, I mean, that's, I mean, it only makes sense that if you already have a score for the radio play that probably runs just about as long, if not longer, than this yeah, episode. It's, it's it's about five minutes longer. Um, very, very similar. I actually got a chance to listen to it this morning, so um, I'll, I'll kind of go over some of the changes that Serling made for the teleplay when we get to it. And again, I like that uh, we talked about this last week about how I got the idea from I shot an arrow to the air from uh, someone just mentioning it to him, and he gave her writing credit. And this is another one that's also uh, you know he's given he wrote the screenplay, but it was based upon an idea written by uh, by a lady. So it's like I like again that he's pulling in all this all these inspirations from everywhere. And, yeah, and I like and I guess uh, the rumor has it that he wrote this teleplay in like six hours. So. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you already have a good a good radio play, and all you gotta do is add just the visual cues. I'm sure he's already had it. He probably already had the visual in his head as he's listening to it, right? So, yeah, probably, probably wasn't. And then that uh, tough. another strange little note I found about the uh, uh, him buying the rights to this. I guess Hitchcock tried to purchase it a few years before Twilight Zone did, and uh, Hitchcock offered her two thousand for the uh, story. She turned him down, and that ended up selling it to Serling for the exact same amount of two thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, now you say that though, that it, it does feel very Hitchcocky in the sense that you have, uh, like uh, you you have like the the blonde, uh, pretty female that's under duress, and she's running away from something. Like I mean, she's moving cross country, but you might as well you get the same vibe like the being a psycho where she's just heading down the yeah, road for sure. And it's like, yeah, I could see how he would be attracted to this idea too. Um, yeah, that's funny that, um, that he sold it for the same amount, of, or she sold it for the same amount of money, though. I guess she just like Rod Serling more. I don't know. <laughs> um, so I guess that's a good segue into the cast. So we have Inger Stevens, who plays the main character of Nan Adams. Um, who Nan Adams? That character name is loosely based off of Serling's daughter Anne. Um, so I, I, <laughs> I kept seeing that all over the place. And I was like, what was his daughter's name? Was daughter named Nan? It's Anne. Well, I so mean, how, like, many ways okay, can well, you, good enough. how many ways can you change the letters around from Anne <laughs> to Nan? And they're like, mm, uh, like, I don't think you can really do too much with that. It's funny that he's like, yeah, it's based on her name. Three letters switched around. Yeah. So uh, she was kind of an interesting uh, actress to look into. Uh, a lot of TV work ended up making a transition into film. Um Made a big break in a guide for the married man with Walter Matthau. And uh, I actually know her from Hang Em High, the Clint Eastwood film. Um, and then she was in one other Twilight Zone episode. But I guess she lived a pretty troubled life as far as I, I read a quick little biography on her. Uh, very secretive, very troubled. Um, and I, you can definitely kind of see it come through in her performances in this. But I guess she ended up passing away in 1970 at only 35 years old due to drugs and alcohol. Uh, she was found on her kitchen floor. So very tragic life for this uh, very beautiful actress. Yeah, like that's uh, when I was doing my my looking into this too, I saw that I couldn't believe it because it's like she, 
um, like you you see like what people consider like the standards for beauty as you go along different like you know decades and, and movies and all that. She mm-hmm. has a face that I think would fit almost any any time frame. She was really pretty and had a very distinct. Her eyes were very expressive, and yeah. just, um, that's why I was like, why haven't I seen her more things? Well, she wasn't around that long, you know, and I, I didn't realize that. So that's yeah, a shame. Just, uh... Kind of classic, tragic Hollywood story, you know, fame coming too fast, too quick, uh, couldn't handle it. Um, yeah, just very tragic, very tragic. But yeah. she gives a great performance in this and uh, very excited to talk about it. Uh, then next up, we have Leonard Strong, who plays the hitchhiker. Um, strangely enough, for how iconic he is in this episode, this is his only Twilight Zone appearance. Um, and I, Tons of war films. He was in the movie Shane, another Western. Um, and we have Adam Williams as the sailor who is in one other twilight zone episode, uh, another North by Northwest connection, uh, that seems to be popping up on every episode. <laughs> it, it just makes me feel like, like twilight zone was just filming right around North by Northwest, like by the runway where that plane was flying down over Gary Cooper. It's like, <laughs> Hey, you guys just want to come over. We're filming some stuff right now. Sure. Yeah. Um, and that he was also in helter skelter. Just had to write that down. Um, and then lastly, the only other person I wrote down was Lou Gallo, who played the mechanic in the very beginning, um, who she has a very telling conversation with in the first <laughs> yeah. the opening uh, scene of this episode. Yeah, it gives up the ghost pretty early there. Uh, mm-hmm. So the two things I want to mention, one, uh, Leonard Strong, I found that he was more famous uh, at the time for playing the, the villain, the claw on Get Smart. Uh, ah. I thought that was kind of funny because that ended up inspiring uh, the bad guy and Inspector Gadget. You know, yeah. uh, Claw. And then Miss um, Whitney, who is the voice on the telephone at the end, uh, is Eleanor Oddly. I think that's how, her, that's how you say her last name. She was the voice of Melissa Fett in Sleeping Beauty, and they modeled the character after her. Oh, wow. So I thought that was, like, the probably the most famous of all of them was the one with the very shortest amount, like, you know, just a phone call, you know? So I thought that was yeah. interesting. Good catch. I didn't even go that far down because I was like, ah, eh, disembodied voice on the phone. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just, I, I'm not yeah. going to look any further into that. Well, but, there's like there's like six fine. people. I'm like, I'll look. You know, who knows? So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And if you look at her, it's like, shoot, she does look like Melissa. Finn. It was it was uh, it was interesting. Um, <laughs> all right. So so yeah, that's uh, that's that. Let's just go ahead. Let's just let Rod uh, take it away. Her name is Nan Adams. She's 27 years old. Her occupation, buyer at a New York department store. At present on vacation, driving cross-country to Los Angeles, California from Manhattan. Minor incident on Highway 11 in Pennsylvania. Perhaps to be filed away under accidents you walk away from. But from this moment on, Nan Adams' companion on a trip to California will be terror. Her route, fear. Her destination, quite unknown yeah and it starts off pretty quickly with with her car just disabled along the road and the mechanic telling him like ah it's i'm surprised that with you blowing a tire like that that it's not worse you know so that's how it starts yeah Uh, and then uh i i love they end up back at the uh gas station or the mechanic shop there and uh she's like well i guess it's cheaper than a funeral yeah. like, huh, i wonder yeah. how this one's gonna end <laughs> yeah know? i like that um first whenever like uh the guy was like i'm surprised that you're still alive and she was she was pretty like nonchalant about driving 65 and that that boat of a car 
And I was like, yeah. all right, yeah, not, not a problem there. And then I also wanted to note that it was five dollars for the tow and um and twenty two ten for the tire. Uh so like the or not the tow, but for the service call. So that's um again, prices are always gonna be weird to me fifty years ago. That's uh it's pretty cheap getting a tire getting back on the road. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah, so pretty sim- simplistic uh, plot for this episode. Um, so after she gets her car fixed, I guess uh, she she keeps going down the road. Um, this this is one of the things in the radio play. They kind of give a little bit more backstory with him leaving. Uh, he switched the gender of the driver to a female in the episode. So the man in the radio play ends up like talking to his mom and she's like, well, be careful driving and everything. So uh, that's, uh, that's kind of the first difference I saw between the two, the radio play and the teleplay. I think it's, um, I think it was a smart move to switch the gender. Uh, not normally to me, it, it wouldn't affect the story either way, but I like, here is this, you know, we're, we're in 1960, uh, America's moving forward. W- women are getting independence, but also the idea of going from Manhattan to LA, driving all by herself. Some people would feel that's a very big safety concern, you know? Yeah. And, and I thought that was an interesting change. Yeah. There's definitely a sense of vulnerability, which, uh, Rod Serling plays with later on in the episode when she picks up the sailor. Yeah. Um, I, I liked, uh, there was a, a loud horn blare when um, the hitchhiker first, uh, he, it's, like, it's like a jump scare into the view of the camera and he's staring directly at the viewer. I really liked that moment, but it also reminded me of Mr. Death from uh, episode two. Um, just the way that they introduced the, the main you know, protagonist and he's just staring at you like directly at the, at the viewer. I thought that was really awesome. Yeah, I, I love the decision. Uh, Leonard Strong, interesting choice for this because he's not really a physically imposing uh, antagonist in this and he's not necessarily scary at all and I, I, I love how it starts out just kind of nonchalant you know uh, she's like I don't even know why I'm upset by seeing him you know it's just like he's just an unassuming man I, I, I don't know why I'm scared but as it keeps going and things start feeling a little bit more supernatural as the episode goes it becomes a little bit more terrifying yeah, there's something to be said for like seeing the same thing over and over again and the context it shouldn't be there, right? Like he's just staying there waiting for a ride and he's not necessarily approaching, like you know, not like aggressively approaching, but he's always there looking at you. Like that has to be so unnerving versus like knowing there's a threat that's chasing you as opposed to someone that's just patiently waiting for you to drive up. Yeah, yeah. It, it it helps kind of ramp up the tension because when we first see him, it's it's almost nothing. You know, if it weren't for the horn blare, we wouldn't even know that he was uh he was going to be an issue. Um, but yeah, I, I just I love how he's just an unassuming antagonist at the beginning of this. It's it's a really interesting decision from Serling. Yeah, because then it also plays into the idea is like, is this really in her head? Maybe like like the 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 bit I play at the beginning when she is talking to the sailor later about isn't it possible for someone to get ahead of you if they're traveling in a car faster if you're driving at a regular rate of speed? Like it, it is possible, right? And and also at the time, I don't think the highway system was as well developed as it is now. So there is the possibility that your routes were limited by a couple you know state roads, you know, so mm-hmm. you would run into the same thing over and over again if that person's traveling the same direction. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm trying to look at my notes here. Yeah, uh, like we said earlier, Inger Stevens, like she was fantastic in this, though. Like her kind of descent into madness as we go through this episode, like it, it's it, it's so well done. 
And the fact that he kind of brought over the narration from the radio play, I think works amazingly with this. Because you have her reading off her lines as narration, and then you just watch her facial expressions as she's driving. And I think it's very effective. Yeah, it's um, it's a different format for the show mm-hmm. where, uh, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's always going to be a lot of exposition because they got to get to the point of the story because you have a limited amount of time. And I know that's something that you have reminded me of constantly when I say, why is that to be so talking, you know? Um, but with this one, it's like you are translating it from a radio play where there's a certain assumption that as a listener, you're going to be told information because you can't see it. And with this stripping out a lot of the action, just having her internal monologue, I wouldn't want it for every episode. But you're driving down the road. Who are you going to talk to other than yourself? You know, you're going to have, you're going to be all you're going to be left with is your thoughts. So the viewer has to be let in on that. And I thought, yeah, you're right. That is a smart move. Yeah. Well, and again, him being rushed to get these uh, teleplays done and getting these stories done, having such a strong original story. Like it, it had to have been easier just because, like that whole thing about saying, is it possible that somebody can catch a ride going a little bit faster and beat you into next town and stuff like that's pulled directly from the uh, the uh, radio play okay so uh, again him cutting a few corners but it it works really well in this and i gotta give it to lucille fletcher for having a really strong interesting story so have you listened to the orson wells war of the worlds broadcast yes okay yeah. so this is is this your second time listening to wells do something different from war of the worlds um i don't know how familiar no you are i with I, I i have a bunch of his uh radio plays and everything on my computer um i i, I haven't listened to him in a while but i i have heard quite a bit from him i was just going to ask if you felt like there was something there that because when i think of orson wells obviously i think of war of the worlds and then i think of like citizen kane so and also transformers the movie the animated movie um ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so i just didn't know how how his performance there varied from what i think of him as being a little bit larger than life um and well very dramatic. Uh, there was another i can't remember the actor who plays basically nan's character um I can't remember his name, but Orson Welles was not playing Nan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was just, I was just curious because I have not listened to it myself, but I know with her, like you're right, like she did the heavy lifting in this episode. Uh, her face sold a lot. I mean, I know that there was a lot of dialogue to obviously inform the viewer, but you're right. There was a lot of it where she was just driving, and you could just tell, like that panic setting in. And then there's the whole bit when they get to the railroad crossing, like that. Uh, that was. I could see how she was panicking, even though, like, I don't know why she wouldn't wait for the train to come, because there'd be a, a divider between her and the hitchhiker, and then she could just turn around and drive the other way. But no, she's just like, I'm going to panic. I'm going to just try to drive over the, the tracks. But uh, but her face, like, you know, definitely you saw that, like, she wasn't thinking clearly, and I, and I yeah. appreciate that. Though she should have waited for the train. I just, I'm just saying that she should have waited for the train. And then just drove the other direction, so he couldn't see where she was going. That's just my logic. I maybe, maybe, maybe I'm overthinking it a little bit. Well, and also you're stuck on the train tracks. So like, stop trying to start the car. Just get out of the car and get. <laughs> <laughs> that was my thing. Is like, screw the car. Like, I'm just gonna get out. Like, yeah, that train's only going one direction. You know, that's the. You're not gonna. You're not gonna win that. You're right. Um, so yeah, so, I, yeah. I, I do like the the train sequence though. It's uh, uh very stressful. Yeah, I mean it's it's well a bit done. It's a, I, I, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I love I love the fact that after she finally backs up off the tracks and the train goes by, the hitchhiker is gone again. Um, 
just a great visual. Yeah, absolutely. So then uh, as she's traveling along, she she uh, starts making these poor decisions where like she wants to go get gas in the middle of the night and she goes up to the most uncooperative gas station owner ever. Um, yeah. which I thought was kind of funny where it's like, and he asked her like, what's wrong? He's like, I saw a man. Well, what do you mean? Like, did he do anything? Well, no. Like, well then come back tomorrow. And like, he's closing the window <laughs> order. I'm like, that's, that's kind of funny, but also like, why would you leave this person stranded out in the middle of nowhere with no gas? And yeah. then she, she meets a sailor. <laughs> yeah. Well, the sailor, it cracks me up with his introduction because, uh, he's like, well, why don't we just get some gas if you're out of gas? He, he just knocks on the window. He's like, come on, old man, we need gas. And then. They cut to them walking to the car with gas. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it took it took the man to uh, get the guy to come out and give him some gas. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was just it was a strange. You're right. It was a little odd uh, situation where it's like, yeah, she's not worth my time. Oh well, there's a sailor on leave. We better get him gas. The yeah. man, the man knows. So uh, the sailor, um, again, from the radio play, they switched the genders. So in the in the radio play, it was a man driving across country that picks up a woman. And uh, it's it's about the same dialogue, just switched. But uh, his performance in this is made me really uncomfortable. <laughs> oh like, yeah, just yeah. his body language and everything. He he doesn't come off like dangerous, but there's something in his performance, like the way he's leaning towards her, and his eyes are kind of going up and down on her the entire time. Uh, that just really was off-putting. And I think with changing the genders between those two characters, um, it just added another level of vulnerability, like I said before. Yeah, and then also um, a red flag should be anytime you pick up anybody and they ask to take their shoes off in your car, you know, that's when you just leave them alongside the road. You don't think twice about it. Uh, well, I that... think he refers to his feet feeling like hot bricks. <laughs> um, yeah. And for some reason, I singled that out in the radio play, too. And she asked to take off her shoes in the in the play. And she said her dogs are barking. Oh. I was like, I like the hot bricks better. <laughs> hot bricks. <laughs> I might start using that. It's like, oh, my feet feel like hot bricks. Um, but yeah, like even you could tell like uh, like he was kind of creeping on her. Like it's nothing that he said in particular, but it was odd. And then when she starts like kind of going into what she's worried about, and he's like, at that point, he's like, you know what, lady, you're, you're, I'm good. I'm good. Can you just let me out? I'm good. Like, after a while, the and guy. And then she yeah. flips it and tries, uh, tries like, I really like you. I wish you would take me out, you know, trying to, like, flip it on him so he would stay in the car. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, that was, uh, I thought that was a nice reversal of him. It's like, nah, no, nah, I'm good. Let's, let's drop me off here. Um, but then that just gets to basically she um, goes to finally call home to talk to her mom. And that's where, like, the twist that's been hanging in the air the entire time, you know, is found out where uh, she talks to somebody, asks for her mom, and her mom says, well, let's say her mom wasn't there because because uh, her daughter had passed away in a car crash. Yeah, she was in the hospital from having a mental break from the passing of her daughter who died in a car accident in, like, Pennsylvania. Yeah, so then Nan realizes that uh, that she, she's been dead and just uh, kind of not in denial but just not aware of it. And that, like, eventually, like, the hitchhiker isn't scary anymore. It's just she's resigned to it, you know? Yeah. And then he appears in the car. And, and the, the, the only thing he says the entire episode. Uh, so that was the way it ends with uh, with that wonderful, surly narration at the end. Um, it's, yeah, very, yeah, very quick and to the point with that closing <clears throat> narration. Excuse me. Yeah, it's just very um, – there's, there's a lot here that – 
the the phone call to find out that things aren't what you, they seem that's also been used a lot and i mean i'm not going to say that, that because of this episode but that's always a good communication device is to you know let the the character know oh well i've been thinking about this wrong the entire time yeah, um yeah Nice little button on that where she didn't also didn't have and, and, and credit to Serling and credit to uh, to the actress uh, I always want Inger Stevens I don't know why I wanted to mess up that name that they didn't give her the opportunity to have like a complete breakdown like that would have been a big a big sign of weakness and I'm glad that they just kind of let her process it as opposed to being panicky woman which seems to be would have been the easy route there yeah you know yeah it's a great point. Um, yeah, so this twist, um, I, I know we usually save it for the end, but it is telegraphed from the very beginning of this episode. And this is a interesting follow-up to last week's where they kind of spoil the twist in the first couple minutes if you're paying attention. Um, and it, it's so funny because last week I, I did not like the episode. I did not like the twist. And they do a similar thing in this where they kind of give away the ending at the beginning. But I feel like the road to the twist is so much more interesting than the actual twist itself. Yeah. And plus, I mean, this is a character piece, right? Like she, you, yeah. don't, you don't know her reasons for crossing country and she's stopping at that one diner and you can hear her trying to talk to people saying, Hey, are there hitchhikers along the expressway and all this other stuff? Like, you know, you, it's more, I, I feel like there's more to just think about and just see her develop this as opposed to the last one where it's like, all right, we're all, we're you know in the middle of nowhere and we have five days worth of water. I guess we're all screwed now. You know, like you're much stronger. You're right. Yeah, but it, it's just so <clears throat> funny because it's like the twist isn't a surprise. It's a, you know you can kind of see it coming from the very beginning, but you just still like you feel for her character. Um, you want to see what's going to happen with the hitchhiker. You know, it's just such a more interesting ride. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> To the to the final uh, conclusion of this episode, yeah, and, uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I did too, and I, I feel like uh, it's just one of those ones that because the source material is so strong, and in fact that you actually had a score to go with it too, you know, and actually have evidence of how it's supposed to be executed. I'm sure it was a much easier task to put that together and present it almost complete on on the screen versus coming up with something from scratch. So again, like right place, right time. And it became very iconic, and like I, you can't, you know, that just if whenever people will say where should I start with Twilight Zone, even though I should say start at the beginning, this would be one of those ones that'd be like this one. You got to watch this amongst like the five that people would probably recommend. Yeah. Um, so a quick question I want <laughs> yeah. to pose to you with this: um, with the twist of her being dead, so does that mean everyone that she encountered along the way is also dead? I was curious about that too because then. Like what? Did the sailor not make it back on shore leave, and he doesn't know he's gone yet? Does see, the people like working that, at the gas station that, not know? I could definitely see, but like, because like the sailor and the hitchhiker, like I can, you know, the hitchhiker obviously, but like the sailor, I could see like he's on leave. He probably died in the war, you know. Um, I could see that, but then like the gas station clerk and like the construction worker at the one scene, like, and the mechanic in the beginning, like. It, it, it's kind of questionable, but <laughs> the the afterlife just has as much mundane jobs as they do, they do in reality. It's like, hey, dude, I'm sorry, you died at a gas station. You're just going to work there now for the rest of existence. That's you know? what I mean. Like, <laughs> it, it, and then if she's dead, like, are they? 
I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I well, guess I'm just thinking too hard the, about the, it. The other thing, too, I would think this is almost more of like like a Stephen King twist where it would be like you have these people that actually interact with Nan. And because the way information technology is, then it doesn't matter that she's gone. They don't like she doesn't know she's gone. And so they actually assist this lady getting gas and all this. And no one would think twice about it because that's day to day. You know, like there would be no repercussions for helping this girl because all they do is see a girl. They don't see someone who's dead. You know, like it would almost be like she just was kind of there, like like she's she's dead and she's not. And no one would know the difference. You know, like I would feel like that would be very much like a yeah, it's, it's a weird thought. Yeah, so I just let it slide <laughs> off my shoulder, but I was just curious to see what you thought about. Yeah, that. I was thinking about that too. It's just like, I mean, clearly the sailor must have did something stupid. Like if he if he died and didn't know it, because he wasn't exactly, you know, because he was on shore leave and he was like in the middle of the country. Like we don't even know where she got picked up at, and he's supposed to go That's back true. to the coast. Like how how fast are you going to hitchhike from California to the Midwest and then back and expect to be back in time? You know, I don't know how long your shore leave is. That seems like a yeah. big proposition back then. um yeah i guess she was traveling because she was supposed to have died in pennsylvania so i think like where the train crossing was and where she ended up was somewhere near like tennessee or something yeah and i i guess that was a big screw up because one of the trains is like a pacific something (laughs) train that (laughs) was uh usually in california so yeah um, so I did some research because uh, I like kind of finding information around the topic of the show. Uh, two things. One, um, there was a study they, they've done recently about like uh, the likelihood of someone being uh, killed or raped while hitchhiking in the U.S. Based upon all the cases reported, there is a point, let me get this right, 0.00089% chance of someone hitchhiking getting attacked or killed. Um, more likely the person picking up the rider will commit a crime against the hitchhiker than the hitchhiker themselves. So hitchhiking well, isn't nearly yeah, I can, as scary. I can definitely see that. Yeah, I thought that was funny that the, it's actually like like less than like a tenth of a percent of something bad happening. Not saying you should do it because you just you never know. Uh, but I thought that was interesting. And also, uh, in the summer of 2015, uh, there was something called Hitchbot. That was uh, these guys made a rope. Do you know the story? I'll, I'll tell you. Yeah. yeah, through uh, Kevin Smith's podcast, they <laughs> oh, okay. covered it quite extensibly. <laughs> uh, the hitchbot it was something they used to see if they could have a robot hitchhike by the goodness of strangers, and it went across uh, Canada, Germany, Netherlands without a problem. It gets to the U.S. Uh, on July seventeenth, and then by August first, it it got uh, destroyed in Philadelphia, and Hitchbot <laughs> did not quite even make it off the East Coast. So I don't know what oh, that says so about sad. America. Yeah, poor Hitchbot. R.I.P. Um, <laughs> yeah, I read that story when it first happened. I'm like, you're kidding me. This, like, all it is is just a robot. And like, I've saw pictures of this thing. People would take it to like sporting events and hang out with it and send it on its way. But nope, someone in Philadelphia is like, I got to tear this robot up. I'm afraid of the future. <laughs> well, I think it was just like a bucket with like an iPad on it <laughs> with like fun noodles as arms. So okay. I don't think it was like. I don't like, think it was an actual like bender type robot. You're right. It was more like. Yeah. You're right. It yeah. Was, it, it was like a bucket with an iPad strapped to it. <laughs> <laughs> but still someone attacked it why did they attack it i don't know because they wanted that ipad i guess <laughs> oh my goodness anyway it's like i just like leave it leave it to philadelphia to like the same same city that threw batteries of santa claus just destroy hitchpot you know <laughs> so anyway so sad <laughs> so sad all right let's wait, i know we talked about the twist but let's just go ahead and give our, our twist reading sure. i'm giving it a three 
just because it was a good solid turn, even though it was telegraphed. Um, you know, it's just, this is this is what the Twilight Zone is. Like this is its bread and butter. Yeah, um, same thing. Uh, saw it coming, so I can't give it like a really high uh, grade on the twist. But yeah, like I said, even knowing where you're going, it's such a great ride to the end that I, I can't penalize it too hard. And like you said, this is Twilight Zone to the T. Like this is exactly what you would expect out of a great Twilight Zone episode. Um, and I just I I love so much about it. I I love the whole hitchhiker thing. I love hitchhikers being kind of used as bad omens. Um, just such an iconic episode. Yeah, and if you think about it, uh, we talked about last week's episode. Uh, this is the like the reverse of that twist, which is they they thought they were someplace else where they really never left home. And then the twist of this is that she thinks she's you know here the entire time and she's not. It's yeah. it's almost this. It's just like flipped, you know, and like, um. So I, that's a nice juxtaposition, and that would have been interesting to sit back week to week and watch that and be like, wait a second, maybe like. Maybe I'll learn something here. I don't know. Um, but yeah, good episode, solid episode. Uh, and it was a nice palate cleanser <laughs> after last week. I, I don't mean to keep bagging on I shot an arrow into the air, but it's like <laughs> it's like that one that one felt like just, just let it go, Paul. <laughs> just like just be B movie bad. And this is like, you know, uh, yeah, really well done. Anyway. Sorry, sorry, Rod. Uh, you know <laughs> sorry sorry. Anyway. Um, hey, he'd probably be the first to admit. <laughs> Right, um, I did. Uh, I did not get a cigarette count in this episode. I meant to write it down. I don't remember. I think she smoked uh, once or twice. I cannot remember though. I, I should pay better attention to that. There was no cigarettes last episode, which is why I was thinking of that because they were in space supposedly. Well, uh, the, the, <laughs> well, the the asteroid quote unquote had uh, an atmosphere, so they could have smoked. They could have smoked. You're right. Uh, but yeah, I didn't. I don't remember any cigarettes in this episode. I think there was though. Uh, not that that's really that important, but it's just a fun fact for me. Uh, yeah. All right. That, I think that's gonna do it for us. Um, Kevin, yeah, how can stuff. people? How can people find us? Um, you can find us on Facebook, Strange Highways. Um, having uh, it, it, I, Paul post great stuff. Just stumbled over all of my words there. <laughs> Paul's always posting great stuff up there. Uh, join in in the conversation on there. You can email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. And like I said uh, last week's episode, please, we're getting up to the halfway point of season one. We'd like to do some sort of uh, break, cover something. So if you have any suggestions of anything you might want us to cover outside of Twilight Zone, still kind of in that same world, let us know. Um, let us know how we're doing, too. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a review on there. It really helps out. Yeah, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, next episode is The Fever. I have, I've held off watching this because I've never seen it before. Yeah, um, I have not seen it either. It sounds incredible. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but yeah, everybody have a, have a safe uh, Thanksgiving. Um, if you're driving cross-country... Um, like don't don't end up in a wreck, and if you do, I get I don't know I don't I have no good words for that. Don't don't get no wreck. There you go. Well, hopefully that I'm not even gonna make this joke. All right, <laughs> <laughs> I'm cutting myself off. All right, um, have a good holiday. We'll see you next time. Okay. I'll see you.
I believe you're going my way.